podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca, we look at the incredible career of Mathali Raj, who recently retired from the international game. For that, we needed an author who was also an expert on women's cricket in India. Hi, I'm Karanya Keshav. I'm a freelance cricket writer. I've co-authored the book, The Firebirds Blue, which is the history of women's cricket in India. We talk about her family, coaching, single-mindedness, how she was more like a tennis star, the growth of the women's game, how Mathali's game got dated, and the impact of her on cricket in India. Has anyone ever had more impact on women's cricket in India than Mathali Raj? Probably not. I think Shulan Goswami, who's been her colleague through most of these 23 years that she's played international cricket, comes close. But in sheer terms of leadership, in terms of her records, in terms of the inspiration that she's been for so many girls and boys across India, it's probably with Hani Raj, given the era in which she played in, who's been the biggest influence in Indian cricket. It's quite a complicated story. I think because she's so well-known within the game, she's maybe not thought of the same way she is outside the game. So let's go back. Her family and original coach were very, very strict with her. She said that her family treated her like a racehorse. She's talked about her coach beating her with a stick. She's certainly not the only younger Indian or Asian cricketer who's been beaten with a stick when they've been training. But she wasn't treated like a normal human girl, was she? That's probably the story that you hear from a lot of athletes in India, even today, this idea of being coached hard to do the hard yards later. I don't think you'd find too many takers for that sort of discipline nowadays, but you're still, uh, just given the sheer number of kids in India who like to play cricket, I'd say you still find some coaches and some parents who are others. I guess today we just call it pushy, right? And dominating. But Again, she's given credit to these same people for making her the player that she is. You mentioned her coach actually beating her with a stick at once upon a time. And she credits that sort of pain management, if you want to call it, for helping her deal with injuries later in her career. You know, she played a large part of her career she, uh, with a knee injury. She played one of her best knocks, which was against New Zealand at the 2005 World Cup with a really bad knee injury. And a lot of it she credited for this sort of hard discipline that was instilled in her early on. When you read her later interviews, it's quite clear that she thinks it affected her personally in a negative way, but she thinks that it affected her as a cricketer in a positive way. I think speaking to Mithali is just a fascinating view into an elite sports person, quite honestly, because even her career, I, I think she took a while to even appreciate cricket as something that it could do to her rather than something it was giving her parents or her coaches. And I think that switch happened for her only in 2009, which is 10 years after she started playing, where she mm. decided, you know, she still had something that she herself could take away from the game rather than just playing for her father or her mom, or playing out of a sense of loyalty because, you know, they'd sacrificed so much. Her father gave up promotions for her sake. Her mom, you know, 
got up early and made breakfast for her at three o'clock in the morning so she could play cricket. She's spoken about how her relationships with friends were pretty much non-existent at that point of time. Mm. Her relationship with her brother was compromised. She's greatly thankful and she's, she's grateful for her brother right now. But these are all relationships that took mending later on. And as you said, her personal life was definitely affected by cricket and how long she's played cricket. But yeah, it made the record-breaking cricketer that the rest of us know. Mm. I wrote the piece the other day, but I've been thinking about it more and more. She's kind of more like a tennis prodigy than a cricket prodigy. It was very single-minded. The way that she was coached, the way that her family went at it, it wasn't really a team sport the way that Mathali played it. And if you look at her cricket over the years, she's incredibly, you know, almost like a Jeffrey Boycott, like single-minded type cricketer. Everything around her is noise. What teammates are saying, what the press is saying. It's like, literally, I'm going to face the next ball. But it does remind you a lot more of tennis, especially because she was a huge talent when she was 14. That's an interesting point. Also, because at the time when she was probably at her peak in India, it was a lot of the individual sports stars that were the superstars, in, uh, at least the women. Mm. So you had Sanya Mirza, who's from the same city as Mithali, who was playing Wimbledon and, and being the superstar athlete, you know, the face that India knew. So it's interesting that she didn't go down that path. And it probably says something about her influence that she was ultimately able to make a team sport popular through her face and name. How good was she? How young? Like, she wasn't picked for one of the early World Cups, but was she already quite clearly close to the best Indian player when she was still a teenager? Speaking to older players, it definitely sounds like it. I think we obviously didn't get a chance to watch any of those early games. I think the only reason she wasn't chosen for that World Cup that you're talking about in the 90s was because she was seen as simply being too young and maybe just not mature enough. But I think right from the very start, there's a saying, Lambi Resk Agoda, which basically means one for the long run. And I think very early on, selector seniors saw her as that player. And mm. the fact that she was made captain so early in her career, and the fact that she didn't meet resistance from the senior players, goes to show that there were very few seniors who could challenge her as a batter. Her reputation as a batter was so strong that she was able to establish herself as a leader early itself. The other interesting thing is, looking back, and we'll talk about kind of what happens to her career in the last few years, but she was also seen as not just the best batter, but a very attacking player and a very dynamic player when she started. I'm assuming that the level of batting in India wasn't that high at that point, and so she would have looked like, you know, you dropped a star into a sort of a more, you know, working lineup. Definitely. And I think it's also about the grounds at that time. We obviously see her now batting with a strike rate on some of the best batting grounds in the world. Back in 2000, it was rare that they used to play on such quality grounds. And her ability to bat through innings on those conditions really set her apart. I think there was a year, 2007, if I'm not mistaken, 2007, 2008, where in the domestic season, she averaged around um, 300, if I'm not mistaken. The next batter in her team was just about 500 runs behind her. And she made like 1,500 runs at that point in time. 
And that just goes to show how much ahead of everyone else she was under these same, maybe unfavorable conditions. That is ridiculous numbers. She made 100 on debut against Ireland. Obviously, Ireland was still very much a developing team at that point. I think the first one, when you go back for a record that was really interesting, is the double 100 in a test match against England. I suppose Belinda Clark had made a double 100 in women's cricket in one day before then. But for an Indian woman to play England and make a double century in a test match, that's quite a big deal. It is. I think you mentioned that she was just so bloody-minded in her batting, and this was just another example of that, that she could just keep going and going, despite maybe the rest of the batting not really being able to support her. She made about half the runs in that innings, didn't she? It definitely looks like it. She had Julian Goswami for company for a while, and I think given the relationship they shared, Julian was able to sort of push her a little bit. Others around the team were able to push her a little bit to say, you know, go for the record. You deserve it. It's just a little more you can do it. And again, her own understanding of what she wants her batting to be, which is very often that she doesn't want to be out. Probably the, you know, the best batters, probably it's just that simple for them that they just don't mm. want to get out. And for Mithali, this was again something drilled into her very young that she should finish the day not out. So there's an interesting story about the 214. I think India came into that match after being bowled out for 26 in the limited overs game against New Zealand. And they were having a pretty terrible tour until that point. Mithali was having a pretty poor run as well. So the 214 not only sort of changed how she saw her own batting, but it also sort of helped lift the team up at a time when they really needed it. I mean, it's again one of those stories where Mithali is the one holding up the team in more ways than one. And um, I think just before this match, she'd been watching Michael Vaughan do something similar big. I think it was 197 against India. And just wonder, you know, how does someone bat for so long? And uh, it was interesting that, you know, just a few days later, she knew how to bat that long. Well, the other interesting thing is that she has this incredibly long career, but that was one of her 10 tests. You know, I mean, you know, I've mentioned a million times on this podcast, Susie Bates has never played a test match. We know how few, even Charlotte Edwards, who played another ridiculously long career, didn't play that many tests. In Mathali's case directly, it's obvious that's where she's going to be at her best. So this 200 is like, we know that she would have done that again and again, especially if she played in her prime. She just never got to play the actual form of the game that she was best at. We mentioned how she never truly loved cricket early on. And I think having a chance to play more tests would have helped her develop that love for the game earlier as well. She's spoken about how she might have even given up T20s earlier than she actually did if there was another format of the game, which was test cricket. Because her game is made for test cricket. It's made for ODI cricket. And uh, she's just so good at it. So when we talk of the various unfair aspects of being with Hajj, this is definitely one of them where she just didn't get to play as many tests as she did. The 2005 World Cup, I suppose now the 2017 World Cup is what changes everything. But the 2005 World Cup is probably what begins that journey, isn't it? She averages 50 in that World Cup, which I suppose for her is about par. India make the final. Is that the first time that the Indian women's team sort of gets, I suppose, mainstream notoriety? I don't know if they got mainstream notoriety. I think they were definitely in the papers. But Mithali herself has spoken about how when they came back, even after the 2005 World Cup, there was barely any uh, press, barely any sort of adulation for what they'd done. A couple of news 
articles here and there and definitely more than they started out with. But it was mm. nothing compared to 2017. But at the same time, I think hers became a name that people started knowing. So they may not have known her face. They may not have watched her play. But she was definitely this name that people associated with women's cricket and saying, okay, hey, there is women's cricket and hey, there's Mithali Raj that plays really well and breaks records for us. But for Indian cricket, that 2005 World Cup did change a lot because uh, even in terms of how they prepared for that World Cup, it was unique in their history in terms of the number of matches they prepared with, in terms of the coaching they got, the fitness standards they brought in, in terms of the grounds they practiced on. All of this was completely different, which showed in the 2005 World Cup. And it was also for Mithali personally, it was, if I'm not mistaken, her first uh, stint as captain. So this was a new captain playing with a lot of senior members in her team. She was, what, 22 around that time. Mm. So she was confident. She said she wasn't matured as a batter at that time, but uh, she was obviously confident enough of her abilities. So to prove herself as the best batter in the team, and even though she wasn't completely convinced of her leadership abilities to take them to the final, I think personally it was a big deal for her and for Indian women's cricket. In one day cricket, I don't know if you saw the stat I put up recently, but she scored 17% of India's runs. That includes all the years before she played. <laughs> I can't think of another player in their career that would have done that. Perhaps if we looked at Murali, when he just retired, he might have a very high percentage, but bowlers generally do because there's fewer bowlers. Everyone bats, right? That is an absolutely remarkable thing. It felt like if you watch India play, and I probably start to watch, well, I suppose women's cricket starts to come on TV more around 2008, 2009. Every time you watch India play, she was out in the middle and she was not out on 30 or 40. She was incredibly consistent. I think it says a couple of things about her as a batter and uh, as well as the depth in Indian batting. And I think it's a conversation we're still having even after she retires. So these are all things that are going to be exposed. And um, I think this is the criticism, the controversy that happens with every conversation about Mithali Das, the batter. Starting off, as you said, her strike rate wasn't bad. It was part of the course. It was also the way she approached her game. Very often she's spoken about how her batting philosophy is not to put pressure on the other batters. This was again, partly coming from her and partly coming from the other batters because there was just nobody who was as consistent as her. Mm. But the idea that I'm going to start slow, I'm going to take things slow so that if I get out, the other batters aren't pressured is something she's carried for a long time. India needed that for the longest time, which is why she, she has all the runs. And there was just nobody else to take that on. Maybe now of late, we're seeing a few more batters, just especially Smriti, I think, who's stepping up to sort of take on a bit of that responsibility. But yeah, this idea that she has to do it and that she has to be out, not out at the end of it, it really defines how she played and how the team played, which meant that she was carrying a lot of the responsibility of the team. Mm. It also meant that she batted very slow as women's cricket got a lot faster. No format of cricket has ever developed as quickly as women's cricket has probably over the last what, 12 to 15 years. And she didn't really develop with it. I remember the 2017 World Cup, you and I were there and she gave all those press conferences saying that she was going to be unshackled 
but she couldn't unshackle because the weight of her coach as a teenager all the way through to all those innings where she had to carry India alone meant that when she went out there to bat, she had her front elbow up and she'd continue to play the shots and the other teams would just put everyone back on the edge of the ring knowing that she wouldn't do that. The thing is that you and I know that it was like a whole weight of a cricketer. The game changed around her. She didn't have the ability to change, partly maybe because she was stubborn, but also by that point in her career, she was already probably past her best. Yeah, and again, this comes up again and again. What sort of cricket do you want to play? I don't think India has been able to make that call in recent times because for so long, how they play is almost defined by how Mathali plays. Mm. Again, with her retirement, I'm most excited about seeing what they do to change their philosophy if they choose to change their philosophy. Again, it's um, not that, you know, these consistent players are just going to fall off the trees, but who is going to stand up and take responsibility? Not to fill her shoes, because I think that's a tough ask. And also, as you said, the game's changing. So we don't know if we want someone that way. Mm. And I think this is an argument for the past couple of years. Everyone's just been going in circles with. She still averages about 60, I think it is, in the last couple of years. She has still most runs for India among all the other batters. But some of India's biggest wins have come when she hasn't scored as many runs, which was not the case before. Earlier, if Mithali was not out at the end of the innings, the chances were that India would win the game. Now, that's not a given. It's probably unlikely. And I guess this is a call India needs, you know, the new coach, new captain. Not new coach, but the coach without Mithali and the captain need to take and decide what they want to do with their game. Mm. I mean, she's such a huge figure that I suppose you have to reshape your cricket now that she's not there. She played it in such a specific way. And they will have to change what they do. Generally, players of her age, especially women athletes, because they start so early as adults, aren't still playing at that level. So if the fact that she's still at that level at the end. And realistically, I would have thought the only format of cricket that didn't really work for her was T20. But to be fair, she actually started her career before there was T20. And... It wasn't made for what she did. I think she still gave it a go, but it was clear that she just didn't have the freedom to be able to play T20. She was the first Indian woman to have a T20 century, which comes as no surprise. I think she has two T20 centuries in her career. Mm. None of them came at the international level. This was at the domestic level. So evidently she could do that in her own way. But again, I don't think it's something she really enjoyed. You mentioned age. I think there have been players of late... um, Alex Blackwell immediately comes to mind, who at a later stage in their career did change their game. I'd say Mm. even Mignon Dupree, to an extent, has been able to level her game up for the T20 age. And maybe there's a little bit of disappointment that Mithali couldn't quite do that. She's always been able to accelerate later in an innings. So if you break down her knocks, you can see that at a certain point, she's very capable of going it better than a runner ball. But just the fact that she takes so long to settle and that the grammar of her game is so defined, I don't think she was Mm. ever able to break out of it. No, I think you're right. I think those other players, also, they probably didn't start as top-level players when they were 14. So I think there's a lot of weight of the history of what she had done within her career. But it's very interesting. I want to talk about her public image. Obviously, in India, as you said, she sort of becomes known as a name before anything because there's so little women's cricket is actually shown. By the end of her career, she's a cult figure. 
I probably played as much of a role in this online as anyone did. Uh, you know, there's the reading, the po- was it the poetry book in 2017 World Cup? All these sorts of things. She becomes very much a cult figure within women's cricket circles. That's online and that community. That's not really how she's seen within her team. She's seen as a bit aloof within her team, a bit separated from the other players at times. As we talked about at the start, she wasn't particularly good at doing relationships. She had a very good PR, but maybe not always was seen that way by her teammates. Early in her career, Mithali did have a reputation as being a bit of a prankster. Um, so there are these pranks that she played, especially on someone like Chudan Goswami, pretending to be a reporter, speaking to her for 45 minutes and you know making her talk about five wickets she'd taken, I think, against England. And then, yeah, just 45 minutes later, after Julian had told her parents that, you know, I'm going to be on BBC radio, only then does she find out that it wasn't a reporter, it was Mithali. <laughs> so Mithali was a bit of a prankster. She did have that reputation. But I think the longer she stuck around, after the BCC had to go for, after around 2006, 2007, it was a period of a lot of change in Indian women's cricket. There was no stability. And I think this is something that people have talked about a lot. Mithali was removed as captain and then brought back. You had Chulam Goswami be captain for a while. You had Anjum Chopra be captain for a while. Removed. She had all sorts of selections. People like Mithali at captain were now becoming selectors. Hmm. I, I mean, that still happens. But I think at a point, she herself took steps back from, you know, maintaining these relationships because it just got very complicated. She does have a reputation for being aloof, but she also... Especially at the railways, there are teammates that talk about how thoughtful she is as a leader. In the middle, I think she's always been super professional in terms of guiding youngsters, in terms of making sure they're confident in what their game plan is. Off the field in the dressing room, yeah, probably you're never going to see her do you know, these dances or reels or whatever. Which I guess, if you're an introvert who wants to read a book, that's fine. But if you're a captain for almost 20 years of your career then that will have an effect on the team. And I think, again, that's, again, something that the Indian team will have to look at now because they've been shaped in their captain's image for so long. So what happens next? When she starts, obviously, it's amateur. BCCI and ICC are not governing the local game or the the global game. She plays through this incredible period. She becomes very, very famous in India, but also around the world as women's cricket gets a lot bigger. It's a big person to take out of a cricket structure, isn't it? It is. As I said, I think it'll be really interesting to see where the Indian women's cricket team goes after her because maybe they're due for this shake-up, they're due for this change. Within the structure itself, She's talked about having a second innings. I'm genuinely curious what that second innings is because um, she's not really tried her head too much at coaching. There have been no coaching pathways in India. So is it going to be something like administration, which again, she probably has no background for, but how does she develop it? It's unlikely she's just going to become like a, just another selector, which is what a lot of former players end up doing. So I'm really curious to see what happens with the women's IPL coming up, whether she'll have more of a space to be an ambassador for something bigger, which she quite honestly has set herself up for. She's, you know, you spoke about her off-field persona, but since the 2017 World Cup, especially where every time she's been on TV, she's been a massive advocate for women's issues and for just speaking out for things uh, with a clarity and 
you know, she's an articulate person, so she speaks with a clarity that few others have. And um, that's obviously very valuable how the Indian cricket structure will use that or abuse it. <laughs> you know, I think it'll be interesting to see. Can I ask you a hypothetical? Where would Indian women's cricket be now if she decided at 15 to rebel against her parents and not play cricket? I'd like to think there's always someone that comes around. Women's cricket in India is about almost 50 years old now. And they've always been influential figures that have lifted the team up at different points in time. If not for Mithali, I'd like to think that there would have been someone else. I think just the level of influence that she's had is just so massive. And a lot of it has happened at a time when the game has been more on in newspapers and on TV. There's more money involved as well. So the probably players have had as much of an influence in keeping the game going back in the 70s and 80s. So I'd like to think it would have still gone on. But I think we get to speak about Indian women's cricket with a little bit more pride because of all that she's done. For me, her legacy is batting. She's maybe the most perfect technician that the women's game has produced. I would argue she's the most perfect technician of batting in modern cricket, realistically. The game has changed so much in that thing. What do you think her legacy is as she finishes her career? It has to be about the number of young girls that she is um, inspired. I think until about five years ago, you ask any girl playing in clubs, academies, and these fields, who they wanted to play like. If they were a batter, they'd probably say Mathali Raj. That answer has probably changed now. But I think the very fact that the answer has changed is because <laughs> been those that have come after her that have built on what she started. So I don't think her influence in sort of just bringing women's cricket to this point, despite maybe periods of neglect before BCCI, after BCCI, as the case may be, we have a lot to thank her for that. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. Makunja Banredi is in charge of our video side. Orijoti Senpathy turns the files into video podcasts, and Shubanka Patacharya makes our graphics. Our theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets.